uh, you, so make sure if you need something, you contact any of them uh, while we're gone and those things. So uh, just a quick announcement. Again, um, if you're a visitor this morning, we want to welcome you one more time. Thank you for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. So good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, today, I want to do something. Um, I think that is necessary in the sense that just because Easter's over doesn't mean God is done. And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 24. And uh, there's been some amazing things that have happened through our Easter sermon series. We've seen some miracles. Uh, we've seen God move in, in, in all kinds of ways. We've seen salvations and people return to the Lord. Uh, and so I want to continue to just press in to the Spirit of the Lord and what He's doing in this. Today I want to take us to a very familiar portion of Scripture to help us understand that the journey, the road to Easter doesn't stop at Easter. Instead, the Scripture talks about the road continuing. We call it the road to Emmaus. But this morning, I, I, just want to, I just want to throw this out there to you and change it a little bit from our perspective. Uh, because from a human perspective, the road may seem like it ends to Emmaus. But from a heavenly perspective, really it's a road to great expectations. And so watch this with me in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Uh, that day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about the things which had happened. And while they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself, everybody say Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And I don't, I don't really know why. But I know that in our own lives, we can all admit that there would be times where Jesus has shown up on the scene and we have failed to recognize him. And they said to them, or he said to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. I think it's important that the Bible points that out to us. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that's happened in these days? And he said to them, I love this, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, before God and all the people. How our chief priests, rulers, delivered him up to, the, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women, some of the women, hello somebody. Some of the women of our company. And why is that important? Because in that day and age, women were uh, not allowed to testify in court. Um, what they said couldn't be trusted. You know, that, it, listen, I need everyone in the world to hear me. Jesus came and elevated the status of women. So it's important to us not to get offended the status women had at that time. It's important for us to know how Jesus comes to lift us all up. And that the Bible is a story of Jesus lifting us all up. So naturally they would say, since they heard it from some of the women, 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see it. And he said to them, O foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Now, anytime you see that kind of phrase in the New Testament, beginning with Moses and all the, all the prophets, that is a, that's, a, that's a way of talking about the whole New Testament because Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. And so Moses is the giver of the law, therefore that has to be fulfilled. So now we're, he's, he's bringing them into a new mindset. He interpreted to them all things of Scripture concerning himself. They drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards the evening of the day is now far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now that is odd. He's a guest in the house. He's not the Lord of the house. He's a guest in the house. So take, to take the role of host, if you're a stranger in a house, would be incredibly odd. What is, what is he? See, you can't just read your Bible. You got to... You know, some of y'all got it. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened to us the scriptures, and they arose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. That's seven miles backwards. And they found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together, say, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them at the breaking of the bread. Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said? Amen. All right, let's go to work. What is it about life that makes it worth living? That this, this whole aspect of life, the, the thing we do each day, if, if, if you're not careful, the monotony of life can happen and days begin to feel like electric line poles on the, the side of the road at 60 miles an hour. And, and after a while, you just wonder, what, what's the point? What is it about the promise of a new day that helps the heartache of a bad day? Come on, what, what is it about the desire to move beyond where we are right now to something better in the future? What, what is it, church, about these moments? It's our expectations. It's our dreams. It's our desires. Those are the things, I don't know about you, but that help me get out of bed every morning. Especially if the, if the day previous was not a good day. See, in the world that you and I live in, expectations can be good or bad. 
For some of us, there's always the expectation that tomorrow will be better than today. But for, but for some people, it's a very real expectation that tomorrow's not going to be better. As a matter of fact, the best days are behind us. Because some of us have gotten a report. Maybe the doctor has said, the days forward aren't going to be nice. Maybe, maybe your financial accountant has said, you finally did it. Maybe a family member has passed on. We did Katie Miller's funeral this week, and many of you know Miss Katie. Uh, the land that the church currently sits on used to belong to the Millers. And through God's sovereign hand, um, God provided this piece of property for our church. And Dean, Miss Katie's son, was sitting here, and him and I were talking, and he, he, was, he was right about there where I usually stand, and he said, you know, Pastor Don, this is holy ground. And I said, well, it belongs to the Lord. And he said, no, what you don't understand is right here where I'm sitting, I used to play as a little boy. And they piled sand in this area from where they had dammed up the the mill race out there at one particular time. And and when they undid that, they they didn't have anywhere to put the sand. They put it here. There's this huge sand mound here. And I used to play here as a little boy. And God used to speak to me. And I said to him, I said, brother, it surely is holy ground because as long as I lead this church... Kids are still playing here, and they're going to keep playing here until Jesus comes back. But maybe we're not able to face the future like Dean was with his mom passing away. Maybe maybe a spouse, maybe a child has decided to do life without you. And therefore, your expectations might not be good. Come on. So many of us have to face tomorrow in a very depressing thought. But rather than stay in bed, we got up this morning. Regardless of whether we had good expectations for today or tomorrow or bad, we got up this morning and here we are in the presence of God together. And and I just want to encourage you that our expectations shouldn't simply have to do with what we expect To get out of our jobs, to get out of our school, or to get out of our paycheck, or or to get out of of anything this world has has to, to offer. Our expectations need to move us beyond this world into what we expect God can do with our lives. What if, what if we change the word expectation to faith? And what if, what if faith is not knowing that God can, but knowing that God will? When we have faith in Christ, whether it's faith that he's going to help us face the day, or it's faith that he's going to help us with a personal issue or a family problem, or it's faith for, the, for strength, or, or it's faith to even continue to grow our ministry. And think about what God is doing with us as Firm Foundation Ministries. The idea to, to start a Bible college in the, flop, in the fall. Come on, somebody. I got news for, for, for Grace Hartong. Easter 
Bible schools starting in the fall where we're going to teach people about the foundations of Jesus Christ, his death, burial. Come on, somebody. Right here in little Centerville, a fully accredited Bible college starting in the fall. And we thought it was wild when God mentioned it to us a couple of years ago. What if it's faith to, to plant out a region of churches? Come on, church. That's not hope that just shoots in the dark. It's certainty that God's going to work things out according to his plan. And this story today is very powerful for us in that sense. Here's two very weary, depressed, discouraged travelers who had great expectations. And those expectations came crashing down. And it seemed as if evil had prevailed and everything they dreamed about was lost. And you know what? The Sunday after Easter can, in a lot of ways, be a calm after a very pleasant storm. Those emotions that we have on Easter can fade a little bit. Even after all the planning, all of the music, all the decorations, all the sermons that lead to Resurrection Sunday. Even on the day when the church is full and everything is there. So Sunday can be, the Sunday after Easter can be a little back to normal. It can be a little disappointing. Because like, okay, what now? I mean, we met a goal, right? Like, who would have imagined that a little bitty church could do such things? And, 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 and the Sunday after can be like a little bit of, right? That's why this story is so significant for us today. Because it happens when people weren't feeling very religious. Hello, somebody. In fact, it happened when all hope was lost. The hope that they carried for years is, is and now it's just this heartbreaking memory of what might have been. So they thought. I don't think the story needs a lot of explanation. It's pretty simple. But I think there's some mystery in it that I love when I see it. No one really knows exactly where Emmaus is located. The Bible only tells us it's seven miles from Jerusalem. The word itself, Emmaus, just means hot bath. Beyond this, we don't really know a lot about where Emmaus was located. You could put your finger on Jerusalem and draw a seven-mile circle around it, north, east, south, and west. And, and you know, maybe we could probably figure it out why hot baths. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, it's not pertinent for our message today, but if you're a Bible student like I am, it's one of those things where you're just like, hmm. What we do know, though, is that there are two disciples who are very discouraged, and they're even somewhat of a mystery. We only know one of them's name. We do know that they're not part of the original 12. We also know that they're very familiar with Jesus, and they had a desire to follow him. And we happen to join these individuals at the lowest point in their life. 
their expectations, their hopes, their dreams, the things that got them out of bed have been crushed, hung on a cross, deposited in a hole, in a wall, and a rock rolled in front of the opening. Everything that they had dreamed about and had their hopes on would lay in that hole now in their mind, at least, and decay. And in a sense, they would never recover from what they had just seen three days prior. They're walking, they're discussing, and their heads are hung. I, I need you to see this scene. Because, see, I believe some of us today in this room, some of us listening today have been on the same journey. Come on. You, you didn't get excited about Easter like the rest. Because what you had your hopes on just seems to have been crushed by life. You're here, but you're just going through the motions, and you can't seem to get over it because life has crushed your dreams. Life itself has come, and it seems as if the whole created cosmos is against you. Come on, you ever been there? I'm, am I the only one this morning? Listen, I, I, this goes a lot faster if y'all help. Things happen to us in life that crush our dreams. And, and we can go through the motions. Yeah, but, but we, we're still living in that crushed aspect that there's no expectation of tomorrow. We're walking down a road that should be full of hope, but it isn't. Sometimes we put on the smile. But what we thought the future looked like just isn't going to happen. And this morning, in this place, maybe right now, in this moment, we find ourselves on a road that we have no idea what now will be. That's brought us to a place of despair. And that despair makes us make decisions that, that only encourage our burden. That despair makes it, that hopelessness causes us to make decisions that cause more hopelessness. Maybe the loss in your life has caused you to push people away who really love you. Maybe, maybe a, a diagnosis in your life has caused you not to have faith in, in God's healing power. Or purpose in your life. Nothing can rob you of the sureness of the purpose of your life like a terminal diagnosis. I want us all to be careful to make decisions when we're on that road. Without counsel, there's nothing wrong with slowing down. But to have times in our lives that have brought us to a place of despair, a point of wondering what's next, we know these two men even though we have never met them. We have been them. We relate to them. But I got news for you, church. That's why I love the Bible. And that's why I continue to say, maybe y'all don't read the Bible like I read the Bible. I, I want you to, because then, then, then all of a sudden, in that moment, a stranger joins the journey. It's Jesus, but somehow, somehow, they don't recognize him. And that's my point today. 
Because let me, let me explain to you something. If we are believers and we believe in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, you have to also know and understand that he ain't going to be the same Jesus in your life. He was on Monday that he was on Thursday. Y'all not helping me. So he comes to them and they ask a simple question. And I love this question in verse 17. Because he already knows the answer to it. He's like, what y'all talking about? He doesn't introduce himself. He's just a stranger. He just walks up. Here's their discussion. He doesn't say, hi, my name is so-and-so. Do you mind if I walk with you? I'm all alone on this road. And it'd be nice to have some company until we get to Emmaus. I mean, seven miles after all. And that's a long walk. couple hours you know I'm sure they're not speed walking because they're not doing it for exercise and they're discouraged so their pace is probably even slower couple hours maybe three <laughs> I don't know about you but if a perfect stranger walks up to me and, say, and doesn't introduce himself and just intends to walk around with me for three hours, I'm probably going to ask his name. What's your name? I ain't seen you around here before. And if you are so... If, if you have no idea what has happened the last three days, you're like the only person in all of the created world that has no idea. I, no, I don't think you're going to walk with us for a little bit. You're crazy. Where you been? How do you not know? Come on, church. Cleopas, I said, he answered, how do you not know? How can you be the only, you've got to be the only person. Can you see him later that night after Jesus disappears thinking about him looking at Jesus and saying, how could you not know what's happened? Why did I say that? Here's the ironic thing. Jesus was the only one in Jerusalem who actually knew what had taken place. But he longed to hear what they had to say. He longed to hear their perspective of it. And let me, let me tell you something in this place this morning. I don't know how you got here or why you got here or what state you walked into this place on. You might be just like these two guys. And you feel like Jesus has no idea what's going on in your life. Let me tell you something, church. Jesus already knows. And he longs to hear you talk about it. He's not afraid for you to share with him what's going on in your life. So they begin telling a story. Now listen to this. They talking to Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> right? Like they're telling Jesus that Jesus was a mighty prophet. They're telling Jesus that he was a powerful and he did miracles and, and, and he healed the sick and, and, and he made the lame to walk and the blind see the deaf ear. This, I, can't, I can't imagine the stories they told Jesus about what Jesus did. 
And Jesus in his mind going, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I, was, I, got, I remember that. That was a good one. Oh, I had forgotten about that. That was a good one too. Remember, they got seven miles. But then their story turns dark. I'm talk about the chief priests and the rulers. They killed this great man. And you know what? Because we know the end of the story, I think we miss how devastated and utterly grief-stricken that these two men were that Jesus had died on the cross. You got, sometimes you got to close your eyes and put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're reading about so that you can get a sense of where they're at. And this morning, it's so easy to miss that sense of disappointment unless we've been there. We were hoping that he would redeem Israel. We had great expectations. But we were wrong. Then they said, you know, to make matters worse, these women, they just can't let it go. So some of our friends, they went to the tomb and they didn't find the body of Jesus and apparently some angels told them that Jesus was not dead and that he was alive. But They didn't tell that part as if they actually believed it. After all, they saw Jesus die on the cross. They witnessed it. Plus, in their mind, the scripture had always taught them that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed by God himself. There's no hope. And I love how Jesus responds to their sense of sorrow. You need to have hope in this room this morning. If this is you and you've been on this road, you need to have some hope this morning. He's pointed in what he says. And the Bible says that he begins with Moses to talk about the hope of God and the plan of God. Come on, church. And he begins there, and, 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 and there it is. He begins to talk about the purpose of God. And he says to them, how, how could it not be this way? How could, the suffer, how could the Messiah not suffer if God's plan is going to happen? Let's go back and remind you. Did you forget? But see, they are eagerly waiting for a different Messiah. A Messiah who would lead a rebellion against Rome. They're waiting for a Jesus who would charge the palace and take King Herod out. Amen. They're waiting for a Jesus who's going to crush Pontius Pilate. They're waiting for a Messiah who's going to lead an army against Caesar and and all of Rome and destroy it. They're waiting for this strong, this military Messiah to to reestablish the kingdom of Israel and to restore the Jews back to their rightful place. They're waiting for the wrong Messiah. And so they can't even see that he's standing there next to them. Because to them, a Messiah who would suffer, a Messiah who would be meek, he shouldn't have been riding a donkey. He should have been on a stallion, a steed. A warrior's horse. Could it be king? On a stubborn, rebellious animal whose back is like a two by four. Come on, somebody. It all makes sense to us now. 
I love it. Jesus starts to talk about how sin in the garden separates man from God and how God had promised that the seed of woman would crush, would crush the head of Satan and how Abraham's descendants would be blessed in all of our world. And he's referring to the birth of Christ. And, and, and maybe, maybe, just maybe he goes to Psalms 22, which is what Jesus quoted anyway on the cross. Eli, Eli, labasabachthani, which means my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's Psalms 22. Jesus is quoting the scripture as he dies on the cross. Maybe he goes back to Psalms 22 and finishes it. I can't, I would, could you imagine this conversation? Maybe he goes to Isaiah. And he reminds them of chapter 53, verses 4 and 6, where he says, He himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquities of us all. Maybe, 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 maybe Jesus points out Psalm 16 that speaks of how God would not allow the Christ to remain in the grave. To be abandoned in death. But that the grave couldn't hold him and he would rise. Maybe, maybe Jesus walks through these things. Can you imagine the things that he shared on that road? Come on church. Here the three of them are. On this road. And they're finally at Emmaus. And Jesus, the Bible says, pretends. <laughs> like he's going to continue to go on down the road. And they say, well, it's time. Come. It's late. Stay with us. And not long after Jesus had entered the house, he takes the position of host. That's all. They don't even know his name. He doesn't ask permission. Can I ask the blessing? He just takes the position. And as Jesus begins to break the bread, all of a sudden, it's like a faint memory. It's sometimes like maybe a, a song brings back to our mind. Oh. Or a smell. Or a moment that is so sweet in our lives that it can never be forgotten. But sometimes it's relegated to the back of our mind until something brings it forward. And Jesus takes on the position of host. Now, we know that a resurrected Jesus kept the scars in his hands and his feet and his side. How did they not see it walking with him for seven miles? How did they not see the holes in his hands? Maybe, maybe Jesus kept his hands in his pockets while he talked. But you see... When Jesus breaks the bread and 
he prays like only he prayed during the Lord's Supper. And he hands you. You're looking at the bread. You're not looking at Jesus in the face. Why? Because you reach out to take it from his hand. And when you take it, And the Bible says instantly they knew it was him. And Jesus does the most gangster thing in the world. (laughs) Poof. (laughs) Go! And these two, these two have got bread in their hands. And they, oh! Wait! Oh! Whoa, 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 whoa. When he's talking to us, did you feel it? I felt it. Did you feel it? Yeah, it scared the mess out of me. But I, I couldn't stop listening to him. It was, I've heard those stories over and over again. I know Moses through the prophets, but no one's ever expressed it to me like that before. And it was so powerful that my heart was just like, in my head, and I couldn't take it. And, and all of a sudden, he hands me this bread, and there was, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. We got to go. We got to go. Seven miles back to, you, see, y'all don't read your Bible like I do. You just don't. <laughs> His works will confirm his words. There was a preacher who said that recently. Come on, church. They didn't waste any time. They realized the stranger was Jesus. And all of a sudden, these tired, weary, disheartened men, these discouraged souls who had just thought their whole world had been crushed, jump up from a table. And with everything they have, they head back toward Jerusalem. And I just got a feeling it didn't take three hours to get there. I don't know about you. All of a sudden, here they are. They didn't stay. And I love it. I love it that here are two men who have lost everything, who refused, who refused after the revelation that Jesus was alive to allow themselves to be locked away. Instead, they got up from behind closed doors in their weary state and they headed to the rest of the disciples were at church. Oh my goodness, y'all not helping me. They refused to stay locked away. I said they refused to hide the testimony of the personal encounter with a living God. Y'all remember what Tyler Carpenter said? He said you cannot have a revelation of a risen Jesus until you first got a revelation of an empty tomb. But once you get a revelation of an empty tomb, God doesn't leave you empty. He takes you to Jesus Christ who is alive and well. What are we going to do? We're going to start an EBS. We got to get up. It's time for the church to stop locking ourselves away for fear that the world won't like what we got to say or what we believe or how it's going to come out. I've never lived in a time where the church has been so timid in all my life. Yet it's time now for us to be full of God's spirit and to take this message to a lost and dying world. If there's ever been a time. And 
I'm going not as someone who's never been through some stuff. I'm going to tell a lost world that Jesus is alive and well because I had to walk down that road to Emmaus with my heart broken and my dreams shattered. But all of a sudden a stranger showed up who wasn't a stranger at all. It was Jesus himself. And he reached out his scar-bared hands and said, I need you to know I'm still with you. I'm still alive. Firm Foundation Ministries, you got to hear it. God is with us. The road to Emmaus is one of my favorite stories. Can you tell? Because it takes a couple of very ordinary people doing very ordinary things and shows majestically how Jesus comes in and changes our life. You know why we're a special people? Because God chose us. Not because of our talent or our money or our property or our possessions, but because God himself has decided to come and walk along us at our road of despair and discouragement and reveal to us that God has still got a plan. Don't let your heads hang down. Don't let your hands hang down. But lift your head and raise your hands because Jesus Christ is walking with us. They learn not to merely look at life from a human perspective. They're talking to Jesus and they mention God briefly, but they quickly turn from God's plan and, 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 and turn to a human perspective. Listen, bad things happen because evil happens and it simply means that God is in complete control and nothing takes him by surprise. God is not surprised by your disappointments. He's not paralyzed by them either. Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas, the two thieves on the cross. We know them, and history is very familiar with them. But we would have never, ever known them had it not been for their relation to the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's some people sitting in this room right now you don't understand. God intends for the lost world to know who you are based on your relation, your connection to the story of the risen Savior. I wish I had all day. Listen to me. When things go wrong in your life, when your spouse decides to do something else, maybe... When your children decide to follow the prodigal path, maybe you lose a job. Maybe the doctor doesn't have good news. Come on, church, we could go on and on and on. When you got relationship problems, when school isn't going very well, I need you to remember this morning that God hasn't given up on you. And if you love the Lord, He's working it for your good. Mm. They learned to not see things from a human perspective. Number two, they learned that God can take the worst and bring about the best. Hmm. Three days earlier, what did they see? The greatest tragedy ever known to mankind. But 
But what I need us to grab this morning, when mankind was at our worst, God was at his best. Oh, come on, church. In the darkest days, he can light it up. Oh! God can take the worst act in history and use it to bring about the greatest redemption plan that has ever happened. I know it's hard to understand some of the bad things that have happened in our world. And, and the truth be told, that it's so bad we don't even know the full extent of it. And that might actually be God protecting us. The silliness, the immaturity, and the media itself teaches us to hate each other because of the color of our skin or the plight of our ancestors' histories. Our minds can't wrap around it. Instead, the enemy uses it to trap us and destroy our relationships. Relationships that before that ever happened would have been strong and pure, would never have been hindered by the lies, the lies of this broken world. All of a sudden, we start to second guess, not what we've known, not the character of the people we've built our lives around, but what someone else told us. I'm telling you this morning in this place that God can take the worst thing and turn it into the greatest just like he did the cross. And I believe that revival has come, not is coming, has come to the church. I believe that when we walk in it, it starts in our own hearts. It doesn't start because we have a set of services or we sing the right songs or we bring in the right preachers. It starts because our hearts are postured to set up. I've had enough of a broken world and I'm only choosing to believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. If God can take the most tragic event in history and turn it into the greatest gift of all time, just imagine what he can do with our lives. You can't. You can't imagine it. Because the Bible says that our mind, we can't, no, you can't even fathom the things God has prepared for us. And see, you, 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 you're you set in a place where you think that's only about when we all get to heaven. I, I, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious time that will be. While I live here on earth, it just sucks and that's bad for me. I just hate it! Stop it! I don't have to wait. Jesus came to give me life and life more abundant yeah. right now. I don't know about you. The party started for me in 1992. Hey, I don't know when it started for you, but I've been celebrating ever since. I don't know about you. I'm going to dance my way into heaven. Well, sing that song. 
they would see God and that he would exceed their greatest expectation. What about me? What about you? When they joined the rest of the church, you've got to grab this, they joined them with a sense of joy that they had never had before. Their leader, Jesus, was alive. And they weren't living in second-hand Christianity, as Tyler talked to us about at sunrise service. They had taken the bread out of the nail-scarred hand. Oh, oh. But even though they had witnessed the greatest miracle of God, the result of all that Christ would do would be seen in the rest of their lives. Come on, church. You've got to understand that when God saves you, He just doesn't deliver you from the sorrow of everything you've been in. He saves you because the greatest is yet to come. to have a relationship with him. They would see thousands upon thousands of people come to faith in Christ and be baptized. They would see a ruthless, a ruthless persecutor by the name of Saul who terrorized the church and put Christians to death. They would see him This man who once had showed up with paperwork that gave him legal authority to kill Christians and jail Christians. They would see this same man show up full of the Holy Ghost. Y'all not. And preaching Jesus Christ. Um, They would see themselves who were once victimized by the church on bended knees to the risen Lord. Listen, I could go on and on and on, but the greatest expectations would far exceed, would far exceed what God already did. And I got news for somebody this morning, Uh, somebody who's listening. Maybe it's all of us here. So will we. I pray that each of us has high expectations for what God will do in our life. You know what? I pray that each of us has high expectations for what God will do with our church. And that the crazy rantings of a preacher turn into the crazy rantings of us all. And when all those naysayers show up who said you can't, we'll just sing that very spiritual song written by a man named Toby Keith, How You Like Me Now. (laughs) I don't know about you, but sometimes the Lord just lets me put that song on. I find myself discouraged by people who talk but don't know what they're talking about. I find myself believing what they say. And then all of, God, all of a sudden, God reminds me of that great prophet, Toby Keith. <laughs> Come on, let's be done. Let me close this way. Oh, so good. Y'all have to forgive me. This is the last sermon I get to preach for a couple weeks, so I'd get it all out. 
The road to Emmaus, it's a metaphor for life, guys. It's not just for those two men. It's in the scripture for a reason, especially in the gospel. Do you notice that this story does not show up in the book of Acts? Even though Luke is writing it, and Luke wrote the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is actually just a continuation of his gospel. Listen, I get it. I'm a good Bible student. But I love that Luke put it in his gospel, not in Acts. Because, see, we are on a road of our own journey. The journey of life, a journey which God longs to use us to far exceed the greatest expectations we've ever had in ourselves. And on this road, I get it. I'm a realist. We encounter disappointments. We encounter setbacks. And Jesus himself said, get ready. In this life, you shall have tribulation. Come on, church. Peter said, don't, don't think it's strange when you try with some fiery trial as if it's a strange thing. Maybe today in this place, many of us came here, you're listening. And you found yourself with your head hanging low. The struggles of life weighing on you. Disappointments and heartaches. And it's cost you your joy. It's cost you your hope. When everyone around you is singing and clapping and raising their hands, it's hard for you. But I'm here to end this way this morning. Just when we think all is lost for the follower of Jesus, and if you are here this morning, that word that came forward, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you, need to, you need to give your life to the Lord today. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. No man's promised tomorrow. You might fall asleep in this world tonight and wake up in eternity in the morning. Just when you think all is lost. I may have been tormented by some stuff. Can I, can I tell you this week? This past week, from Easter till now, I haven't slept well at all. Because all through the night, every night, six, seven, eight dreams of some scenario that isn't going right. And, and the people that I love and trust the most, angry with me. I'm mad. That, and I would wake up. And, and you know how it is when you first wake up, even though you know it's a dream, you're still frustrated. Like... One of those dreams, let me tell you something. Aunt Renee was so angry with me. Hello, somebody. <laughs> My wife's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I got, Aunt Renee is ticked at me. <laughs> and all I can remember is Breno's words. Don't make Mama Akina mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Lord, what happened? And it gets in your spirit. It's, it's satanic. It's an assault. And you recognize that and you just, you, you get up and pray. You pray in the spirit if you can pray in the spirit. You pray in whatever language you want to pray in and you, and you just pray. And you take some notes and J 
just when you find yourself in that moment when you think everything is going wrong, can I help you out? That's when another one joins the journey. Oh, Jesus, I want to see you, Lord. I don't want to miss you, Lord, because my heart is so broken. I don't want to miss you, Lord, because my spirit is so downcast. Lord, I don't want to be in a spot, God, where I'm so discouraged that even if you stand face to face with me and I hear your voice, I don't know it's you. Lord, don't ever let me be in a place, Jesus, that when you show up, I think you're a stranger. No. No. You're a friend to the friendless, Lord. You're a father to the fatherless. You're a helper to the needy, a healer to the sick. God, you give joy for morning. Oh, I feel like Sean Brown. Mm. You know you've been hanging around some people, some good people. When you start praying and you sound like John Brown singing. Mm. Will you stand with me? Jesus, I want to pray right now. And give the assurance to a lost and dying world, to every heart who's hearing right now. You are not a stranger. But some of us have felt that way, Lord. We've been so crushed, so wounded, so hurt. There is a song we can't sing. Oh, he walks with me. And he talks with me. Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus. Let us be like those two men who when you talk with us, our hearts burn like fire. Hey, give us that fresh, fresh fire, Lord. Give us that fresh, fresh fire, Jesus, in our heart. Let your fire renew us, God. Let your fire renew us. Let your fire renew us. Hallelujah. Come on, church. My heart is ready. Yeah, it's beating in your chest. God, if I burn, I burn for you. This altar is open. Come on, for any reason. With no hesitation, without reservation. God, if I burn, I burn for you. Come on, church. Come on, church. Give me a fresh, fresh fire. Give me a fresh, fresh fire. I want what you desire. I want to burn for you. Give me a fresh, fresh fire. Give me a fresh, fresh fire. I want what you desire. I want to burn for you.
moment I'm leaving, God, if I live, I live for you. Now, love your praise, you're my obsession. God, if I live, I live for you. that you are walking with us. Help us, Jesus, to see you for who you really are. Forgive us, Lord, for not recognizing you. This morning in this place, though, you're going to be the God of miracles. You're going to do some things, Lord. God, I see marriages being restored. I see prodigals coming home. God, I see healing in the house, God, physical. 
Lord, we've heard stories about brain tumors disappearing in the last couple of weeks. We've heard stories about cancer numbers falling off the chart and not being there anymore. God, we've heard story after story of the hand of your goodness upon us, Lord. The testimony of our mouth encourage our heart in the time of despair. But faith rise up inside of us, Lord. Not that you just can, but that you will. So in this place today, God, we want to be a people of great expectation. Because you are a God of great things. We bless you in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Now next week, uh, Elder Doug is going to be preaching. So I want you to come be excited about that. Amen. Why don't you turn around and tell somebody, God's a God of great expectations. God bless you. I got a play for ya. 